name is not Dr. Google. I'm Dr. V. I want you to be healthy and happy, so we're going to talk about all the things I can't fit into a 15-minute appointment. Let's get started. Step into my office. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Office Visits with Dr. V. I am your host, Dr. Benita Vernado, a board-certified OBGYN and lifestyle medicine physician. First of all, thank you again for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, thank you for sharing this podcast with your family and your friends. It really means a lot that we're getting this information out to help uh, women and their loved ones learn more about their health. Today, this is a really interesting topic that I feel is extremely necessary. And it's necessary because I don't think it's one, A, that we've talked about a lot, and B, it's something that I think society doesn't really prepare us for or have a lot of conversation around. And even I, as a practicing OBGYN for about 15 years, I've been confronted with this, this situation around the topic of consent and sexual assault. And it wasn't until I heard my cousin, but also um, an independent living skills specialist, Bobby Pompey, that I really felt that, you know, there's really more to this conversation than I've been taught and that we've been sharing with our patients. Well, I'm just gonna open up with a quick story and then I will introduce my guest. So I was doing just a routine visit with a patient. She happens to be in college and I can't remember, she wasn't there for her wellness. Maybe she was, I'm not sure. But we started talking about, you know, sex and using condoms and protecting yourself. And she had mentioned that she recently had sex. And just kind of an aside, she was like, well, I, I didn't really want to do it. But, you know, we did use a condom. And she just kind of said it so nonchalantly. And, you know, in true Dr. V form, I don't leave anything hanging. That really just kind of touched me in my spirit. I didn't really want to do it. And I said, well, just tell me a little bit more about it. Like, what do you mean you didn't want to do it? And so she's a young girl. She thought this particular person was her friend, a male friend. And she went to his home. And they were getting intimate or touching. And essentially, she said no, but sex happened anyway. To me, it was a very clear, it, it was a very clear event of sexual assault. But she had just kind of brushed it off. And so I, I said to her, I said, you said no, and it happened anyway. You, you were sexually assaulted. And in that moment, it's almost like consciously, um, subconsciously, she knew she was raped, but consciously she was not aware. And that just really just opened the floodgates. And it was a conversation that only lasted a few minutes, 
because she just basically started weeping, crying. She had a, a panic attack. And, and she, she was really, it just kind of all rushed into her brain at, at one time that that's what happened. It probably took her 45 minutes, you know, to even get out of the exam room. We kept checking on her, you know, giving her privacy and, you know, just trying to help her through it. Fast forward six months later, she came back. She was in a much better state. She got counseling for what happened. She learned some language around what happened and how to, to prevent those situations and how to report things, et cetera. But it was just like, it just surprised me. And then she's not the only patient. She's not the only patient that I've had where basically they didn't want to have sex, but, but it happened anyway. And so we tell, we tell women, you know, have a conversation around, you know, sex. And I always tell patients, make sure that he's tested and make sure that you're tested and you know each other's results and that, you know, you have a conversation about your sexual history and your STDs. But I really haven't included consent because honestly, I'm just, you know, I guess I was thinking, you know, if you're talking about getting tested, then that's obviously something that you guys are, are wanting to share. It wasn't until I heard my cousin on another podcast talking about this exact same issue that I said, oh my goodness, it's a lot, it's a lot deeper. It's a lot deeper than I thought. So here to share with us, and you know, she definitely is my cousin, but she's qualified, y'all. I wouldn't bring anybody on that I don't think would would be helpful and knowledgeable in their field. So let me introduce to you Miss Bobby Pompey. She is a independent uh, living skills specialist at the San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind. She's also an adjunct, adjunct professor at San Francisco State, obviously in California, uh, where she also uh, teaches independent living skills. So welcome, Bobby. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Bobby has on her professional hat. She has a, she has a professional hat. So yes, Bobby, thank you for agreeing to do this. She actually, we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving. Shout out to Brody for being here to record this with us today. And she, she's from North Carolina. And so Bobby just happened to be home. And so that's why we have this opportunity. So thank you, Bobby, for agreeing to, to talk about this important issue. For our listeners, as I always do, who is Bobby Pompey? Ooh, who is Bobby Pompey? Bobby Pompey is a black, totally blind, cisgender woman, um, originally from North Carolina. I go by she, her, and they, them pronouns. I, as mentioned, teach independent living skills. That means I work with people who are blind and low vision. And I always jokingly say I teach them how to be good at it how to be good at being blind people. And I also <laughs> <laughs> teach people who are going into the blindness field to do the work that I do um, at the graduate level at San Francisco. I'm also a dog mom. My German shepherd is running around this house, somewhere, hopefully being good. I love reading, love cooking, and I'm so happy to be home with my family right now. So that's it. 
Woohoo! We are happy to have you back. Y'all, she's not coming back to North Carolina. She she's gonna stay out in California. <laughs> yeah. She's totally. I totally. I get it. I get it. Look, this is really for the benefit of my mother, but for a lot of other people, you did mention that you are cisgender. Could you um, tell our listeners and my mother, Evelyn Williams, what that is, please? Happily. Cisgender is a is the word that describes someone who identifies as the gender that they were assigned at birth. So when I was born, August 11th, 1992, they looked at me and said, that is a female, and currently I identify as a female. You may have also heard as transgender, so that is someone who does not identify with the same gender that they were assigned at birth. Gotcha. All right. Thank you so much. Always like to clear that up if people are listening and get stuck in their head about those things. So, all right. Bobby has mentioned that she is fully blind, completely blind. But she was not born without vision. And so she, that's, that's a whole nother episode, y'all. She has definitely a testimony about that and a journey. But one thing, Bobby, that I noticed as you started to lose your sight, well, when you finally lost your sight completely, or not lost it, what we say, once you had the surgery? Once I became totally blind. Thank you. She, y'all, she's always correcting me. I need to say it correctly. So once she became totally blonde, you know, we were trying to help Bobby do things. And she was like, no, I can do it. I mean, hence now she's an independent living skill specialist. But there were things that, you know, she could do on her own. But we were just invading in her space because we felt like we needed to help her. And so we were talking about this, you know, as a gynecologist, I'm thinking consent is really just about, you know, sexual relationships and intimacy, romance. But she actually said it's bigger than that. And so what I like for Bobby to talk about, because definitely she has a unique perspective. Just talk about the big issue of consent uh, and then we'll get talk more about consent in the a sexual realm. Yeah, so consent is so much bigger than just sex and intimacy and relationships. It really is something that I would like to see be a culture. Like I would like to see us build a whole culture of consent where it is truly in everything that we do. And so those interactions that you were just talking about once I became totally blind, a lot of the friction, shall we say, could have been solved <laughs> or could have been dealt with with consent. So, for example, I remember a big thing. Our family does a lot of big Sunday dinners, Monday dinners, whatever day of the week dinners, just because type of dinners. And me being able to make my own plate was an area of uh, that friction that we talked about. And had consent been used in that example of is Bobby consenting to have someone's plate, someone make her plate for her, that could have been a completely different conversation. It can also come up with now with COVID as we're going back out and we're introducing ourselves to people, we're reuniting with people. Do these people want hugs? Are they at that phase? Are they open to a handshake or are they not shaking hands right now? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. So it just, it can be so much more than just sex and intimacy. Yeah. Which, you know, that's a, that's a good point. I think COVID has also kind of shown 
shown us that you need to ask people, even though it, it feels like it's really small. You know, I've, I've traditionally been doing an elbow tap, but some people want to do a fist bump and other people want a hug. And I'm really become more aware of, you know, hey, you don't have on a mask and you want a hug. That's not going to work. So I'm glad we opened that up because I think when some people think about consent with in the context of a, you know, relationship about sexual consent, you know, kind of like I thought, like, you know, y'all are together. This is something that, you know, you uh, feel you'd like to do in your relationship. Like, like, do you have to have the conversation about the, the little things? But the little things can become the big things. So that's why we, we don't trivialize it. And I know everybody's like, oh, you got to be all PC. But, you know, it's important to set a solid foundation. So in your, in your experience, Bobby, or, or how would you describe consent for us? What is consent? Ooh, I would say that consent is the giving of permission by two or more parties and that's a bit of a stiff way to say it but it really is that permission that's important giving or denying of permission i would ask because denying mm -hmm. i would even add because denying is a part of it too cool. so it's all of that it is respecting whatever that answer is whether it's a giving or whether it's a denial of that permission it is seeing the other person or people that you are in this consenting dynamic with as equals. It's not having power dynamics. They're not coercing or forcing somebody into something um, or to into a certain decision, but it's really seeing and respecting somebody for their permission or their denial. So it's, it's really about, definitely about communication. And this is a conversation that hopefully is had outside of the moment. I'm switching gears never one to specifically talk about sexual activity, but it's, it's not necessarily where we've already started kissing and we're hot and heavy. It's a conversation we have well before that. Right. Ideally, yes. I will. So what... Why do you think, or what assumptions do um, partners have around consent, do you think, that potentially can get us in trouble? Ooh, so many, so many. Um, I think one big one, especially if it's an ongoing relationship, is that this was okay before, so I can do it again. And so there's this, there's this acronym by Planned Parenthood called FRIES, and it stands for five different things, but the F's is for specific. And it basically means it, consent is specific to this situation. And just because I want to hug from Bonita today doesn't mean I want to hug from her tomorrow. It, just because I want to have sex with you today does not mean I want to have sex with you tomorrow. So I think that's a big assumption is that if we've done this bef once before, you must want to do it again. I think there are assumptions about what people are agreeing to. This is something that has a lesson that I have learned recently is to be really clear and specific 
And so if you are asking someone for consent for, say, sexual touch, what does that mean? Does that include things like penetration with a hand? Does that include, like, what does that include? Is that on top of clothes? Is that under clothes? I was being clear about language, like what, what exactly are we agreeing to, which is the informed part of the FRIES model. That's what the I stand for, stands for. People assume that someone, that once someone says yes, like they can't change their mind. And that's right, a, exactly. a huge one that we see a lot of someone agrees to do something. And then once they get started, once you get to that, say, kissing hot and heavy moment, then you decide, actually, no, I don't want to do this. I'm not ready for this. I don't want this. And that assumption that once we start, it's start. And that's the R in fries is for consent is revocable or reversible. So those are just some of the main things that I'm thinking of. And if you're following along at home and you're curious what the other letters are, the F is for freely given, so it's not coerced, there's no pressure, there's no weird power dynamic, and it's enthusiastic. So you're not like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll do this with you if that's what you want. You're like, yeah, like, let's do this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you're enthusiastic about it. Oh, Bobby, that was good. That was very good. Thank you so much for, I love acronyms. That always helps you remember. And she, she did reference Planned Parenthood, so... You can uh, go on their website to get more information. I really want to highlight what you said is you can change your mind at any time. And, you know, legally, like really nobody ever gets, um, no, I won't say nobody. Let me just say I've, I've done my research for this episode and I came across a um, group called RAIN. And the acronym is R-A-I-N-N. And that stands for the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. And it's a national organization that this is really their work. And I believe they're based out of Washington, D.C. And so they have a lot of information around uh, stats. And so this was alarming. Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. And every nine minutes, that victim is a child. Meanwhile, this is the hard part. Only about 25 out of every 1,000 perpetrators will end up in prison, will end up in prison. And so, you know, I think that some of the things around what you just said about, you know, the assumptions that we have, that once you get started, you can't change your mind. And I want to definitely have our listeners really think about that. And I feel like sometimes that's where some of the guilt comes in. And I will tell you, if you're in a situation and you are, you're not in the moment and you're like, I don't want to do this, or I'm thinking about it, you know, you're not in the moment, then I think that's a good time, even though if you're not clear about your no, that you should stop. You should stop and have a conversation and take a step back because if, if you're not in the moment and it's not something that you're agreeable to your, your mind and spirit may not have caught up with, you know, your feelings. I was mentioning about the statistic about 25 out of every thousand go to jail because there is a, a legal, a legal definition of consent. And what they say is that they're, 
as Bobby said, is the consent freely given? Was the person, when they consented, was it of their own free will or were they being coerced or were there, was there a threat of violence? Is there a power dynamic that maybe is at play? So freely given consent is one thing that you have to have legally. You also have to have the capacity to consent. Did the individual have the capacity or legal ability to consent? So age is an, an issue. And depending on your states, if you're below the age of consent, you cannot legally consent. Sometimes if there's a developmental disability, physical disability, a relationship of victim perpetrator, unconsciousness, or if you're a vulnerable adult, vulnerable adult like an elderly person. And the, this one was higher up on the list, but intoxication. So if you are drunk and really have no recollection the next day of what went on, then you could not have consented. So Bobby, can you talk to us kind of around that about just how, how, and I know legally, I, I don't even know if I'm on that level to try to, if I'm on a crusade to make sure that people or that people are convicted of it. Because like I said, the victims sometimes don't even know that they were a victim. And I think that's where we need to start. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, the one thing that was coming to mind, a partner of mine often says, if you are uncomfortable, your consent is probably being violated. And so thinking about that and what you were saying, of if you're not sure if it is ha if something is happening, if it doesn't feel right, even if you don't have the language about it, just think about any time you have been uncomfortable with something and it's likely your consent was violated. So that's the only thing that I was thinking of when you were saying all that. I also think it's important to reiterate the fact that if you are intoxicated, like consent is something that you legally cannot do. I think that's something that people take for granted and people do a lot. I know there are times where like, I think is being in our culture, there is a lot of drug and alcohol that is, is shown to us. And it is very common for that image of someone to go out on a date and have a glass of wine and then the couple comes home and has sex. So realizing that that can not be okay and that legally that is not okay. Yep. Legally, that is not okay. And, you know, alcohol does kind of... Um, I'm blanking on the term, but inhibitions, it relaxes your inhibitions. You think, okay, he was cute and I would have never said this to him. But when you get that liquid courage all of a sudden, and so, you know, that's definitely why you want to make sure that you are surrounding yourself with partners, with friends who will, who will protect you and are looking out for your best interests. Um, just to, to wrap up the legal side, the other the other thing that you have to have is affirmative consent, which means did the person express overt actions or words indicating agreement for sexual acts? So that's important. Affirmative consent, freely given consent, and the capacity to consent. So Bobby, you have had a personal experience um, with this topic. And I think the podcast that 
I heard is you were, your friend is a, a sex educator. Can you tell us kind of how you got into this work and maybe share a little bit about your experience? Yeah, so a good friend of mine, her name is Laura Miller. She is also blind and she is a sex educator. So she has a master's degree in public health and in, and one also in human sexuality. And so her work centers around making sex, relationship, intimacy, all of those types of education and information accessible to people that are blind or low vision. And what she found when she started doing her work is that she was trying to have conversations about STIs and conversations about even things like kink and BDSM and people didn't even have a basic understanding of consent. And it was a roadblock in the way of all of these much larger conversations that she was trying to have. And mm -hmm. so when I met her, the she was doing that type of work. She still is. And I am fortunate enough to have grown to be really close friends with her. And so we always, all of her friends tease her about this consent soapbox that she's always on. And she's like, everything is in consent. Everything is in consent. Everything is in consent. We're like, okay, Lord, we get it. We get it. We get it. Okay. But the more that I was around her and I started th seeing things work out and seeing how it was and things that weren't just related to sex, it's like, oh, she might be right. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And so I then started doing some of this work alongside her. Her and I have also done a lot of training on things like ableism, which is another thing that came up for blind people that was a barrier to them. Oh, sorry. Ableism is any type of discrimination or looking down on a person with a disability. It shows up in a number of ways. It can be something as blatant as teasing or bullying. It could be treating people differently. It could just be the fact that a restaurant doesn't have a ramp to it for someone in a wheelchair because it shows that that person was never thought about. And that's a not mm -hmm. okay thing to do. So. In working with blind people, before you can have intimate relationships, that person has to see you as a whole person. And ableism can be another roadblock to that journey of building intimate relationships if you are a blind person. So mm -hmm. her and I started doing that type of work as well. And I started attending more trainings on my own to learn more. And she's just kind of brought me along. And the podcast that you mentioned earlier was actually one that I did along with her. Okay. And what, what has been your experience with this particular topic? They have been all over the place. I think I will share two. One, because I'm thinking of Laura and one thing that she has majorly changed for me is I always describe myself as a person who's not a hug. I don't even know if you knew that about me, Benita. <laughs> but I, I'm that's how I thought. <laughs> I am, I always thought I was not. And so if somebody asked, I'd be like, no, I'm not a, I'm not a hugger. Like I will hug you, but it's not my thing. And through being friends with Laura and for the first time, someone asking me before they hugged me of like, Bobby, do you want a hug? I realized that it's not that I'm not a hugger. It's just that when I first get to a place, I don't want to be bombarded with people. So if I'm just right. walking into the door, 
I don't want a lot of physical contact. And that's just me and my own stuff and my own reasoning. But if you give me a minute, maybe five, 10, however long, I'll warm up. And then I'm like, yeah, I love a hug. And so that's one example where the tool of consent has changed my whole relationship with hugs. Like it was something I thought I didn't want. And now it's something I realize I want, but I want to be able to control when I have them, if that makes sense. Okay. All right. And your second experience that you want to share? The second one that I want to share that has had a lot of impact on me, I relate a lot to the story that you told at the opening of the show. I was raped my freshman year of college. It was something that I knew was wrong in the moment, but I didn't. That's all I knew. I didn't have any didn't feel like I had anywhere that I could turn. Um, looking back on that, I see how ridiculous it was and all of these resources and great family and friends that I could have gone to, law enforcement that I could have potentially gone to. But at the time, it was quite a feeling of, of helplessness and it has shaped a lot of who I am today. So I told the story about the hug first intentionally because what I realized is that I don't like unexpected contact. And that is still a part of my PTSD from the rape. And right. so it really, and especially now that I am totally blind and I can't see people coming in, it's quite startling. Right. If someone is just all of a sudden, all of a sudden a voice and a hand is on me. And mm -hmm. so those are two experiences that have, have quite shaped how I view consent quite a lot, quite a lot. So just to kind of give some background, because, you know, this happens, this happens all the time, all the time, especially in college, especially in college. Just a few questions. Did you know the person that assaulted you? That's an interesting question. Yes, it was someone that I had met pretty recently like in the number of hours so mm -hmm. yes but also no i did not know them well by any stretch of the imagination okay and you know that's oftentimes kind of like you meet somebody you know out or you know on campus or it can be someone that you know it's a friend of a friend and you've been you know kicking it for you know a few months few years but common is date rape is, is very common. What do you think, you know, in, in hindsight, what, what do you think kept you from reaching out for, for help? Was it that you didn't know the resources? Was it the trauma of the event? Were you just scared? Did you even accept that it had happened? For me, I think the main things were shame and the not wanting to accept it. And so how my body chose to respond to that traumatic event is for a while, I didn't remember all the details. Mm -hmm. And so because I didn't remember all the details, I doubted my own story of did I actually say no? Did I actually do anything to not want this to happen? Like maybe I... Maybe there was something there that I'm not remembering and maybe I'm like making this up in my own mm. head. Oh, that's so there was, mm -hmm. there was some acceptance issues and then there was some shame 
there was this idea that is is very common of like, was I asking for it? Because I did choose to go because I was one of those people where it's like, just because you do A through B does not mean that we're going all the way through the alphabet. (laughs) So I did choose to go into this person's room and to be alone with them and to lay in their bed. But I did not choose anything that happened afterwards. But there was a lot of shame around all of the things that I did that, to me, it felt like I got myself in that situation. I see it mm-hmm. did much differently now. But at the time, it was like, well, I got myself in this situation. Now I just have to get myself out, which is also another thing of mine. Um, I, I have this, this, this. Uh, don't do that, Bonita. I have this. What did I do? What did I do? That, yeah, I heard that. I have this will about me. Um, and I have this independent streak about me. And it was yes. one of the things of like, I, I got myself into this situation. I have to get myself out and I have to deal with it. And so that's what I did. And I dealt with it to the best of an 18 year old's ability. <laughs> like, and mm-hmm. so it was. I didn't deal with it. I wonder, I often wonder how I would deal with it now. Um, right. But anyway. Right. I, yeah, I've, I've found that most people do not talk about it. And most women, I take care of women, so that's who I'm referring to, or women who identify as women, that, you know, it, it's almost kind of locked into a part of your mind where you don't tap it, especially because sometimes when it comes up, it can't affect you so much. So you were 18 when it happened. How old were you when you finally, you know, spoke it aloud and finally got some help for it? Oh, how old was I? I think I told one person maybe within pretty quickly. So within a week or two of it happening, I did not tell my friends who were literally in the other room of this apartment until a year or two later. And they were right there. Like it happened. We all got in the car and went back to campus and they had no idea for a year or two. When I started seeking help, I didn't actually start seeking help for that. So a bit more about my history. When I was 16, my mother, her mother, my grandmother, and her sister, so my great aunt, all passed away within about three months of each other when I was 16. And because of that, my family, one aunt in particular, our Aunt Joyce, I remember having a conversation with me about grief and about if I ever talked to anyone and really expressing a concern that she didn't want that to all catch up with me and to to impact me in a negative way. And after that conversation, I decided to just go to, I went to North Carolina A&T, Aggie Pratt, and <laughs> I decided to go to our counseling service on campus because it was free and I was like well the least I can do is have a conversation with these people like check it out make sure everything was okay I really approached it like a wellness check like I was gonna go Mm -hmm. in there and they were gonna run some tests and be like oh you're fine 
And I went in there and I started seeing a counselor that was great, the best one that I've had so far in my entire life. And this issue came out, the issue of the rape came out. Like it was, it was a long time until I could even say the word rape, which is why I intentionally say it now. And so she had mm-hmm. to desensitize mm-hmm. me to that word and just saying it aloud because just thinking it would make me break down. And so it was, it was a process, but that's when I started. And that's when I realized a lot of other mental health things were going on as well. But that's where it all started with me. It's just going in for something completely unrelated and realizing like, wow, I really need to be here for other reasons. Right. That is, mm, that, that's actually what I see. And I, I feel, you know, that's why I like lifestyle medicine so much and, and taking the time to actually talk to people because a lot of people are being treated for things like anxiety and depression that stem from trauma. Um, and trauma that's never, ever even been talked about. So kudos to that counselor at North Carolina A&T State University here in Greensboro, North Carolina, for doing the work to kind of dig deeper and get to the root cause. All right, we're getting close to the end of our session, and I definitely want to, to leave people with some, some tools. So I'm just going to share with you all some information on uh, how you can respond in those situations when you are feeling like you're being pressured or you're, you're in the moment. But this is, again, from the RAIN network, Rape, Abuse, Incest, and National Network. And they just say, remind yourself, you know, that this, is, this isn't your fault, that you didn't do anything wrong. And Bobby talked about mm-hmm. how, you know, you have to go back and say, did I bring this on myself? Like, what did I do? It is not your fault. The other thing is trust your gut. And Bobby, I think you said that very well, that if you are uncomfortable in any way, then your consent is probably being violated. You, when you get into the more um, serious situations, they recommend having a code word. So like in Bobby's example, if your code word was red, and maybe you told your friends, Red, that they would have an idea about, you know, maybe what has happened and that you're uncomfortable or that you need help. So if you're with a group of friends or you're with family, having that code word in advance to say, hey, or a statement, they say like an example, it might be, I wish, I wish we took more vacations. Like you can say something like that, that everybody knows is, is a sign. The other thing is it's okay to lie. So it's okay. Whatever you have to do to get out of the situation is what you have to do. Don't worry about angering the person or, you know, upsetting them. You, you can make an excuse to exit. You can make an excuse to exit. So you can say, I need to take care of a friend or family. I'm not feeling well. I just have to go to the bathroom. You know, that can also be a reason that you can get out of the situation when you're being pressured. And the last thing, as I said, think of an escape route. And if you have to leave quickly, how would you do it? And it's crazy. I really feel like just from what I've heard, and I, I have not been sexually assaulted, but I've taken care of enough women to know that in the moment, people usually freeze. They freeze. And so it's not like you're thinking, okay, 
The exit doors are to my right and to my left. So I'm glad we're having this conversation to kind of think through some of these things, because with most things, with our mental health and our physical health, prevention, prevention, prevention. If we can prevent ourselves from getting in this situation. So Bobby, you mentioned that you now know that there are lots of resources that could have helped you when you were 18. What resources do you recommend for, for me, for our listeners to get more information about consent and uh, sexual assault? One big resource, there is an organization called the Consent Academy, and they do a lot of trainings for people on different types of, not different types of consent, but different ways that consent may manifest. So for example, in the winter um, or spring, I'm hoping to take their consent for leadership, which is something that if you're in a position of leadership, regardless of whether it's at work, in an organization, wherever, you know consent practices for leadership. It could be consent for kids, because consent for kids is something that it's something that is not really talked about consent for our like the little kiddos like starting at a baby what does it look like to have consent with an infant well um they do of course consent for survivors consent for transgressors so those are consent academy as one and then there's also an organization based in san francisco called and they have a class that they offer called navigating consent and it is through, or the classes have been led by Dossie East, who is one of the authors of the book, The Ethical Slut, which is a book about ethical non-monogamy. But the navigating oh. consent classes, that's a whole other conversation. I was going to say, that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other episode. Ethical slut, okay. And the ethical slut. But the classes are about navigating consent as they have a track for someone who was the survivor of a trans of consent violations and as a transgressor of consent violations. Typically gotcha. what we may call a victim and a perpetrator, but they choose a more empowering type of language. Um, okay. So they offer a class over Zoom that is a number of weeks long and focuses on consent and what to do in situations, prevent prevention, how to have these conversations, what to do if something happens, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So um, I have mentioned me navigating consent. Consent Academy and navigating consent. In this episode, we've also mentioned Planned Parenthood and I have mentioned the RAIN organization. On their website, they have lots of resources, which is RAIN.org, R-A-I-N-N.org. But also there's a national sexual assault hotline, and that's 800-656-HOPE, 800-656-HOPE, and that's 4673. HOPE is 4673. So 1-800-656-4673. This is one organization. Locally, I know that there are several hotlines in the area and even hotlines usually on um, campuses, university campuses as well. So I would just encourage you to have that information available. So Bobby, we are, we're wrapping it up. Leave us 
you know, you've given a lot of good information. You've shared openly, freely, and you're very good at this and qualified. If someone wants to get in touch with you to get more information or to have you speak, how would they do that? So, Mother Day, the best way to contact me is through email. And my email is bobbypompey at gmail.com. That's B-O-B-B-I-P-O-M-P-E-Y at gmail.com. All righty. Well, Bobby, you know, you are my younger cousin. Y'all, I was, gosh, what year were you born again, did you say? So, I remember it this way. So I was eight, you were 18 when I was born and I was 18 when your daughter was born. There you go. Oh, and that's special. I I just, I remember Bobby when you were born, like I remember, I remember that. And so (laughs) as she says, y'all, she has this independence. She's got all this knowledge and Bobby is definitely all grown up and I'm just so happy and I'm just, I'm proud of you, Bobby. You've, you've done a lot. Your life has not been easy, but you are definitely using your life to bless others. And I know that people will be helped by what you have shared uh, on this episode. So little cousin, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate your willingness to, to be honest and open and share your experience with us today. All right. So guys, thank you again for listening and uh, don't forget to especially share this episode with others. Okay. We need to get this information out there. I think it will definitely maybe save someone's life, but will also save them from the, the, the side effects or ramifications of, of trauma. So again, please, please, please share this episode um, with your family and your friends. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. My prayer is that something said on this podcast will get you started on a path to your optimal health and wellness. The information, including opinions and recommendations discussed in this podcast, is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to be a substitute for the advice of a qualified and licensed physician or other healthcare provider. Although I'm a doctor, This does not replace the advice of your licensed physician or healthcare provider. So please seek the advice of a qualified healthcare professional before making any changes to your healthcare regimen. And another thing, just by listening to this podcast doesn't make me your doctor. However, if you want to stay connected, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V. And go to my website at OfficeVisitsWithDrV.com. That's Office Visits with DRV.com. Let's follow up next time. Blessings.